If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Judges. That's Old Testament. We're going to go into type and shadow today. I'm going to bring you a, a reality out of the type and shadow that we found in the life of Samson. So turn to the 16th chapter of Judges. Yep, I'm going to talk about Delilah. <laughs> Judges 16. Mm. It's going to be good. I got a lot of reading here because I really feel like in order to do this justice, I need to read the entire chapter, uh, if you don't mind. And I am reading uh, for my audiovisual guys, I am reading out of the New King James today. So Judges 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot. Well, we're in trouble already. Look at your neighbor and say, we're in trouble already. <laughs> Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Now we really know we're in trouble. Verse 2. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city, and there were there and they were quiet all night, saying in the morning, When it is daylight, we will kill him. Do you under did you catch that? When you're lured into the place of a harlot, death is waiting at the door. Oh, I'm preaching and I ain't even started. Mm -hmm. Verse 3. And Samson laid low till midnight, and he arose at midnight and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bar and all put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Verse 4. Afterwards it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies. You see, up to now, Samson being the judge in Israel, the leader of Israel, it, today it'd be like a tribal leader or, or a president. He watched over the people of the nation of Israel and he's making many enemies because of his powerful strength and his ability to cause havoc upon his enemies. The problem is he's got a little something-something going on on the side. Mm. How many understand that when a man of God or a woman of God have a little something-something on the side, they're opening the door for their enemies. 
Oh, my, my, my. Here we go. And the lords of the Philistines came up, on, up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Are you listening to this? And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So they appealed to her greed to get information, insider information against the man of God. All right? So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now remember, Samson has no business being with this woman. Yet he keeps frequenting her place. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, those are animal guts, for the lack of better words, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Sanu is what I should have said. Verse 8. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now, wouldn't you think you would have sense enough to know this person may not be for me? Hmm. So the lords of the Philistines brought up the seven fresh bow strings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. That don't even sound right. Verse 9. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. In other words, he's in this room with her, and she's got enemies stationed all over the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. Now don't you think this man should have figured out she had enemies hiding in the room. That would have been the last time I visited Delilah. I don't know about you, but this is, doesn't seem to be Samson's demeanor. 11. So, she say, so he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like other, any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait, staying in the room again. But he broke them off his arms like thread. And Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Wait a minute. How did she become the victim? Huh? Huh? Oh. Tell me 
what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of a loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. And then she said to him, how can you say you, I love you? Huh? Last time she was the victim, right? Now, now it's, you just don't love me. Mm-hmm. I think I dated this girl once. No, I didn't marry her. I married the right one, but I think I dated the wrong one once. <laughs> then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? I don't see that her heart is with him. I'm just saying. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass. That means over time. It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed. In other words, troubled to the point he wanted to die, vexed to death. It was like, oh my gosh, if you, if you say this one more time, I'm going to commit Harry Carey. No, none of you ever been there. But she, it's like, how much can you harp on this one subject? Leave me alone, woman. Yet what's he doing in her house in the first place? Verse 17, he was vexed to death that he told her all of his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told all had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the locks so the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. Verse 20, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Oh my goodness. Verse 21. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. 
In other words, they hooked him up to a grinding mill, a grinding stone. And instead of using an animal, they were using him. Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again. And after it had been shaven, now the Lord of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, little g, for they said, our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. See what they've reduced him to? So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them like a puppet on a string like a circus show, like a freak show, like a sideshow. He performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. This was an ungodly temple. And all the lords of the Philistines were about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Verse 28, then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow, take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took a hold of the two middle pillars, which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it so that the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all of his father's house household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. And, had judged, and he had judged Israel 20 years. It's a very sobering story, but one that I think is very timely and pertinent for the day and the age in which we are living right now. And something I want to share to not only Passion Church, but for everyone who's listening by radio or watching by device, of, rather that's television or phone or computer, I want you to hear the truth. I want you to understand that in the day and the age we're living, how many understand the signs of the time say that we're approaching the end. Nobody knows the day nor the hour. No one can predict the year, but we can predict 
we can predict that by the signs that we are seeing, the return of the Lord is not far away. And if ever the church needs to wake up, it needs to wake up right now. This sleeping giant is about to lose its mission if it doesn't wake up. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? My heart screams, yes, you will. As crazy as the world may be getting around us, there are still some of us crazy folk who are so in love with Jesus, we can't live any other way. And even those of us, if, if we look at Matthew 25, we understand that the word says they all slumbered and slept. They all nodded off, if you look at the original language. They all were doing this in church. Like that guy next to you. <laughs> and they'd done that until they heard the clarion call, it's time. Trim your lamps. So resupply your oil. Trim your lamps. It is time. And five were wise. I want to be numbered with the five. How about you? So lean in today, if you will. I'm going to teach you something you've probably never heard. If you've heard it, praise God. You may have not ever heard this in the way that I'm going to bring it forth. I've taught this story of Samson many times in the past from Samson's perspective, but I'm going to bring you a new perspective today. So let's get started with the fact that Samson was God's chosen man. Chosen before he was born. His mother had to keep the Nazarite vow and not do something that would taint his anointing before he was born. She was given the instruction not to drink wine and not to eat unclean things because this child had a calling and a purpose. Ladies and gentlemen, you, I'm talking type and shadow here out of the Old Testament. You, like Samson, have a calling and a purpose and an enemy. Mm. So Samson was God's chosen man. He was called to be a Nazarite, which means a set-apart one. What does the Bible tell us? Come out from among them and be ye. It doesn't mean better than. It means separated from. It doesn't mean smarter than. It doesn't mean that you're greater than. It means by relationship, you're separating yourself to a life of higher standard because of God's calling to you. Samson took the Nazarite vow that he would never drink, that he would never touch anything dead, and that he would never cut his hair. 
You may not understand or know this, but he broke all three. The one is very subtle and it's hard to find, but it, you'll find Samson earlier in the narrative down at a vineyard. What do you do at a vineyard? Next, he's giving riddles as he tore apart a lion and then went back to that lion that was torn apart and dug honey out of it where bees were making honey in the carcass. The only thing, the only vow he hadn't broken yet was his hair. And as you and I know, in the story, he broke all three. Samson was chosen to be a leader, to lead Israel, to show them the truth. Samson was to be a protector and a defender. And man, did God equip him to be a protector and a defender. There was one time when enemies came at him, and not necessarily an army, but a thousand men came at him, and he had no defense but to reach down, and he found an old worn-out jawbone, and he picked up that jawbone and took out a thousand men in one battle by himself, no armies backing him. God equipped him. God equipped him powerfully to lead and to defend. You may not understand this, but you have been not only called out, but you have been empowered. He put a thousand to flight. <laughs> but where there are two or more, you can put 10,000 to flight. Look at this. Look at this. You have Christ. You are too. You have the Holy Spirit. You are more than two. You have God the Father. You are more powerful than Samson was because he had to, to communicate to God from without within. You and I communicate to God from within without. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what's wrong with him. So you know the vow. I won't re-rehearse -re that for you. Here's something that's interesting. Samson was divorced. Yet God didn't condemn him. God used him. The problem Samson had was that he had this thing for foreign women and not the women of his own nation. And of course, when you're going to step outside of God's plan for you and associate with people who do not have your belief system, you are going to find yourself messing with something you should not mess with. When you go outside of your belief system to get what you want, you are living outside of the will of God 
because this has never been about you. It's always been about him and his kingdom and our assignment here to help him get it done. Oh, my goodness. Is this too hard? Come on now. I love it when the pastors are on the front row and they go preach it up. So Samson was divorced, but God didn't hold it against him. I want anyone in here. I do not abdicate divorce. I am a pastor. I say at all cost, you stay with the wife of your youth. Do not run. There's no problem that cannot be fixed. But if, unfortunately, you find yourself in a situation like this, Samson didn't want to be divorced. He just was because his father-in-law gave his wife to someone else. He didn't ask for it. He had to live with it. The problem was is he didn't make it right and he didn't go back to what he knew was right. He didn't go back to the women of his, his calling. He went to women of foreign origin. Which brings me to the understanding that Samson had enemies. And every time Samson got hung up with a woman, starting with his wife, of foreign, uh, what do I want to say? A foreign, um, no, <laughs> chick, foreign chick. Okay. A foreign origin, thank you. Every time he would, he would get with a woman of foreign origin, it would cause an uprising of enemies to come at him. But he, having the power of God backing him, felt as though he was invincible. He forgot where the power was coming from at times. He was so used to the tradition of shaking to feel the power of God and strength that he relied on the shaking, not on the God of the shaking. Samson, unfortunately, had weaknesses. I know nobody in this room has them. But if you have a neighbor near you who does, pray for them. Samson had weaknesses, but it wasn't just that he had weaknesses. Here's where the problem lies. He, he, he had weaknesses that he refused to control. It wasn't that he couldn't control, he wouldn't control. Oh, I'm about to take off. He entertained his weaknesses as though he was entitled to them. He lived a life of indulgency, indulging his desires and his behaviors and his lusts. Thinking, I'm a leader. I'm in charge. I'm powerful. My word carries weight. I'm entitled. I work hard. 
How many times have I heard somebody say, Ooh, it's Friday night. I can't wait to get down to the local discotheque. Well, they don't even have those anymore. In my day, it was a dislocate. <laughs> can't wait to get down to the corner bar. Can't wait. I've worked hard. I deserve this drunk. I'm going to pour on myself. I'm going to get sloppy, crazy, drunk. I'm going to do things that people will be talking about for months. I'm going to wake up in somebody else's clothes. Woo! Think about that. Think about that. I'm going to wake up with Miss Maggot Mouth and go, oh my goodness, what have I done? Is this, too, is this too ugly and hard? <laughs> that, <laughs> what was that? Oh, no. Here's the problem is that he didn't just indulge. He flirted with destruction. His enemies used his weaknesses against him more than once. Because he couldn't tell a love interest no. A person who flirts with temptation, who's living out of self-gratification, will invariably end up in trouble. Is it okay if I talk plain in this place? I've already been doing it, so... It seems that his Nazarite vow was rehearsed to him by his parents, but I question exactly where was his relationship with God. He was called, he was anointed, he was empowered, but it doesn't seem to me he had a very close relationship with his God. Because who in their right mind, when you know him as Savior, wants to ever hurt or defile his name in association with yours? Wow. It's the quietest church I've ever heard. Mm. Look at this. He recognized the anointing when he needed it. He didn't mind a good shaking. He didn't mind being used of God. But as a leader, he was reckless. He, retired, he, he relied solely upon his ability in God where the nation was often concerned. So he had critics on both sides of national issues. His own people bound him once and took him to an enemy to try to get the enemy off of their back. The only time you see fear on Samson was during that encounter when he turned to the people of his own nation and said, promise me that you won't fall upon me and kill me. An enemy he didn't fear. 
Why is that? <laughs> because he couldn't fight back his own people. God would not empower him to fight back his own, only the enemy. Infighting in a church is not allowed. God will not anoint you. Oh, I'm, whoo, this is the most meddling I've done in a long time. God will not anoint you to touch a brother. He'll anoint you to help. He'll anoint you to correct. He'll, he'll anoint you to rebuke. But he will not empower you to turn on a brother. Oh, where are the Baptists when I preach this? That's what you're all thinking, I know. <laughs> if you play with fire, ladies and gentlemen, you will get burnt. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, crispy critter. No, don't do that, don't do that. So... I gave you a little rundown on Samson. Are you ready to hear about Delilah? Oh, here's what happens when you mess with a Delilah spirit. We all know the Jezebel spirit, but we're very few of us understand there is also a Delilah spirit. It can be on men and women. It doesn't care. It's a spirit. It's a demon. All it wants to do is destroy. Are you ready? The word Delilah, the name Delilah, means delicate. Delicate. Sounds so sweet. Weaker. Smaller. In need of saving. Every virile man wants to protect the weaker sex. We want to help the more vulnerable. It makes us feel like a man. There's something about the female frame and the slight weakness in the natural with them that makes every man in here go, hey, baby. Oh, come on. I'm just being honest. Come on. Hey, baby. So <laughs> and women will play up to that. Oh, yes, they will. Oh, yes, they will. Now, I know in today's age, we don't know. Is that a dude? Come on. You know, you see, you, other pastors won't say this, but I'll say it. Mmm. <laughs> mmm. Well, they wear the dress right, but something don't seem right. I don't know if it's the beard or the mustache. I know it's crazy, but there is something in every man who wants to protect his lady. And all the men said, 
Well, that was a half-hearted thing. Wow. Father, help these men. Delilah also means she dwindles. Oh. Get this, get this. She dwindles. Does anybody know what dwindle means? So, somebody said something. Reduces. Thank you. Dwindle means to reduce. To wear away. What'd you say, Dennis? Reduce slowly. To drain. See, you all are preaching. Look at this. She dwindles, referring to the erosion of spiritual awareness. Whatever Samson may have still had left in God, she was after that. And when I say she, I mean that demon. Here is another meaning behind the, the name Delilah. It means to slack off. It means to ease up or to take it easy. I am going to go there. Like Jezebel, Delilah uses seduction to accomplish the goal. <laughs> Jezebel wants power. But Delilah wants something entirely different. Delilah wants your anointing. Jezebel wants to replace you. Delilah wants to dwindle you. That's heavy, isn't it? I'm letting that hang in the air. So, she uses seduction. Come on, guys, be honest. Be honest. The female frame is attractive. God made it that way. Why? Why? So we would be attracted. But how many understand the enemy is a perverter? God made it very clear in the Garden of Eden, one man, one woman. Right? Anything outside of that is sin. And that is still the same in 2023. If you're doing a little something, something, you better run to this altar and you better get your heart right because you are wrong. You are in sin. So, even if you're just thinking it, Jesus brought it down to the attitude of the heart. So, here's the reason seduction is used it is alluring, it is natural. It makes um, a man or a woman, it can go either direction, feel good. Come on, ladies. How many are happy with your man? When he walks in the room, you're like, mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's my man. 
That's my man. See, the women did a whole lot better than the guys did in here. That's my man. That's my man. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I love to watch women when they're, when they're fighting for the territory because they'll be, like, they'll be like, oh, how are you, sweetie? Now, if you look at my man, I'll scratch your eyes out. <laughs> Come on, let's just be honest. Men are like, we're going outside, Jack. We're, go we're going outside. All right. <laughs> she uses, when I say she, I'm talking about a, a foul spirit. It's a demon. This foul demon uses the exploitation of your weakness to control you. It's your desire that puts you into this position. Oh. And the constant wearing down of your Christian defenses will lure you into a place of complacency. There was a, a brief moment in my life when I had a Samson type, not this particular weakness, but a Samson type weakness. And I gave into it for a short season. Oh, you look at the holy people in here. Y'all looking at me like, why? Why he should be horse whipped. <laughs> this was before I was pastoring. I've grown a whole lot. But I gave in for a little bit. And I realized I was in trouble the day I no longer had a conscience about what I was doing. And my heart said, oh my gosh. If I don't quit, my conscience will be seared and I won't be able to return to my God the way I want to come back to him. And I ran back to God and I repented. And God has been with me ever since. I want to save you from those moments. Young people, I want to save you from those moments. I know how strong temptation your own desire can be. It can take a person of strong resolve, but if you do not control your desire, seduction will pull you in. It'll pull you in. I'm almost through. Look at your neighbor and say, the loud mouth's almost done. So the first thing is the seduction to try to lure you into a place of complacency. And then that spirit will give you signs of unworthiness. You're unworthy. And when, it, when, when that spirit does that, that spirit is saying, you're unworthy of me. You put so much time in God, you're unworthy of my attention. You spend so much time with the master, you just leave me out of the equation. And you're going to have to work harder to win me and not so much with God. Do you really have to be at church on Thursday night? Huh? Come on. And so the enemy goes, look, 
there's baseball. And I'm not picking, I'm not picking, trust me. Oh, there's football. Come on, I'm just being honest. Oh, it's okay. Christians, I can, I can have a, what, are the, what do they call that? A social drink. Well, sure. I, I, I'm not here. I'm not here to pound on you. I'm just saying the enemy's a master at taking something you desire and getting you in trouble with it. And then you can't even point your finger at the devil at the end because it was your desire to start with. Oh, we in the wrong church. I got to get down to the Methodist folks with this. I'm just being honorary. Stop that. Stop that. All right. So she gives, or, or that spirit gives the signs of unworthiness. Three times. She tried to ambush him. This is just in this one encounter. He had other women do this to him. But in this encounter, three times she tried to ambush him. And she was seeking to gain from his destruction. She was trying to let him know, I'm going to get you, Samson. I know it's not very, doesn't look so great for me, right? I will get you, boy. She was trying. That spirit was, was letting him know, I'm going to get you. And he ignored his own discernment. How often do we ignore our discernment and then suddenly we're in a big mess? Because I'm going to get you. Are you still with me? Now look at this. You, I pointed this out when I read it. This spirit twists and perverts every situation and every circumstance or thing said into a victim mentality. It's coming after you to destroy you, but if you have any strength at all, if you outfox this spirit at all, the spirit goes, oh, why? You just don't love me. You just don't care. You have no compassion. Oh, you're horrible. And you call yourself a Christian. Come on. The light just went on. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> I'm almost done. Just give me a, a, another hour and a half. We're almost there. You see, this spirit always twists everything to make itself the victim. And then it goes on with the constant pressuring or nagging. And it's a tactic of this spirit. It is relentless in its pursuit, saying, give me what I want. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. You don't love me if you don't give me what I want. I'm going to get you. I'm going to destroy you. You don't love me. I'm a victim. 
Give me what I want. Please give me what I want. Would you please, would you please, Pastor Steve, would you please just destroy yourself for me? I should have had your wife do that. Would you just destroy, Colleen, destroy yourself. Just destroy yourself. How many husbands destroy a, a, a wife that's a Christian because they won't go to the house of God? Huh? Come on. Until their faith is worn down and every time they want to go, they have to go through some rigmarole and a fight. I knew and I heard, I didn't know the man, but I heard of an old man. One of my former pastors shared it. His grandfather was as mean as a snake, but he'd go to church with his, grand, with, with his grandmother to keep her from testifying. And he would sit with his pocket knife out and he would hold it at her belly so she couldn't jump up during testimony time. And for the rest of the time, he was as mean as a snake. And this woman held her ground. And invariably, every time in every service, him holding that knife to her during the testimony time, he'd get distracted and she'd jump up. Praise the Lord. This is what the Lord's doing in my life. In the latter years of their life, clear up into their 90s, I believe they said he was 91 or 92, he got born again. He finally got born again. Why? Because that wife wouldn't let go. And she was by this time bedridden. And he would cry and he would weep and he would apologize and he would wash her feet over and over for not giving up on him. That's the kind of faith we need in this hour. I've got to fly. I'm already at the time. I feel the bell tolling. I can hear stomachs across the building going. If your love for someone is used against you, if your friendship for someone is used against you, if your right heart and right motives are used against you, you're fighting a Delilah spirit. Because that spirit is in a never-ending pursuit. If a feeling of I would rather die than to deal with you is present in your life, you're dealing with a Delilah Spirit, if you're so worn out, I'll give you whatever you want. Shut up, Delilah. Spirit, if you're being tempted to betray God, Delilah is at work. She's saying things like, Slow down, rest. Oh, don't be confrontational, be loving, sleep a while. Oh, when you fight injustice at City Hall or the school board, you're going to drive people away instead of help them. Oh, come on. 
I just heard it this week. <sighs> Shh. Just slumber a while. My wife's giving away a secret. I was in a meeting this week where we were, again, trying to strategize how to get numbers to the school board so we can finally truly get a stand to take these filthy, ungodly books out of the libraries of our school. And a new pastor came in to our meeting. Thank God he came. When we, his opinion was asked at the end of the meeting and he began to berate and belittle and to tear down our tactics and our ways and our means. And your pastor, as loving and kind and sweet as I am, just felt sorry for all the other people who couldn't be that way in the room when I blurted out, coward! You forgive me, the Lord already has. I got to finish. So, well, I don't, yeah, we don't. The whole thing was slow down, be more like Jesus, don't make waves. Where was he when Jesus turned, where was he when Jesus turned over the tables and said, enough of this mess? Where was he? Does he not read that part of the word? I got to quit. You people are fanatical. Delilah gains your trust because she wants your secret. And when she gets your secret of your strength, then she torments you with what you have shared. Tell me, what is God saying to you? Some of you will recognize this just recently happened. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. The intention was to figure out how to gain control and power over you. Not because they're interested in your testimony. They want to know how strong is your resolve in God and can I manipulate and twist you? Oh, what's wrong with this fat man? Here's the thing you need to know about a Delilah. They are charming. They are attractive, enticing, and engaging. But there's always a feeling of the thrill of the hunt keeping you on the edge of fighting to win their loyalty. Now, I'm talking about a spirit that can manipulate people to be used. So when this spirit comes at you, it doesn't come at you in your prayer time. It comes at you in your fellowship. Oh, you all look scared. You know you're going to get hurt, but you can't seem to leave them alone. That's a Delilah spirit. And if you sense that even for a second, run! A demonic spirit has placed a slumbering stranglehold on mainly highly anointed saints in the modern church. 
Its mission is to stop believers from fulfilling their destiny by seducing, enticing, and berating them so that they fall asleep, forgetting their true purpose and passion and giving Satan an advantage over God's people. That is the assignment. And just when you thought I was done, <gasps> here's what we can learn from Samson. Are you ready? Your weaknesses will be exploited by the enemy. You will be enticed and seduced. You will be lured into a false sense of security. You will be manipulated to compromise your anointing in the lap of dishonesty. Your purpose will be thwarted for self-gratification. Your strength will be challenged and defeated. Your vision will be lost, possibly to never be regained. You will find yourself grinding in the enemy's prison. And you will be held up to ridicule for the enemy's entertainment. The devil doesn't just destroy your walk with God. He mocks you for giving it up. You will cry out, hopefully, from a place of separation from the Holy Spirit that you once thrived in, in relationship. Death awaits those who are lured away by the enemy. And although, here's the saving grace in all of this, although Samson died in national disgrace, there is most assuredly room for repentance in God's kingdom. With a final shove, he cried, God, one more time. Father, we thank you for your word today. As challenging as it was, as straightforward as it is, as pointed as it was today, Father, it was a message that is needed by the body for such a time as this. For there is an enemy that is switching tactics now. Coming in from a different direction with a different way and a different means. We bind the spirit of Delilah. We stand in our resolve that we will not individually or corporately fall to the seduction of this foul spirit. But we will be like our Messiah, our master, not afraid to turn over tables when they need to be turned over, not afraid to methodically make a whip and to whip those that need it, not afraid to stand against society and its demon worship. We hold fast to the word of God and we will not be enticed away from it. We will not compromise the word of God and we will not back up from it. 
We will spend the entirety of our lifetime waiting on the sound of the trumpet with our lamps trimmed and burning, for we're about to light the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're unashamedly going to stand in the face of the world and in the face of society and let them know that, that neither societal pressure nor governmental pressure will silence the church of Jesus Christ. We will stand and we will be counted and we will usher in the kingdom of Jesus Christ in our lifetime. And we give you the honor today, Father, in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. Now, real quickly, I know we're way past time. It's 10 minutes past. Oh, my goodness. You will not be able to find a seat at the restaurant now. The Nazarenes are all over there, and they've got it sewed up. So, I feel sorry for you today. I apologize for being long-winded. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. Yeah, right. But before we leave, I must do what God's called me to do with every head bowed and every eye closed. And I only do that just to make it easier for those whose hearts are being examined. If today something you said recognizes something in you that has been lured away, or you have an area of struggle that you just feel the enemy is pounding on you about. Or if you're just ready for the all-out sellout that you haven't quite reached yet. Today is your day. If you're here under the sound of my voice, Maestro, if you could give me a little music just for a moment. Thank you. If you're here today and you sense a weakness, an area that you just want to bring back to the master, you don't need me, you need him. But you sense that that's you. Would you signify by just lifting a hand up and right back down? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's honest. Thank you. That is so honest. That is so honest. When I look across the scope of the room, I know your hearts. I know your lives. I know your loving God. But not a one of us are exempt from the enemy pursuing us. And for those who had their hand raised... God, I pray right now that this issue is being resolved because they recognize change must come. I pray for them, Father, even right where they are at this moment. I ask God that they would begin to ask you for freedom, deliverance, that they would bind this foul spirit to loose their natural desire that it would not be perverted away from God into a pseudo-God. 
No perversion in my life. No perversion in my heart. All the days of my life I shall give to God. I will not compromise. Hear our heart today, God. No compromise. No compromise. If you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer with me, but you still would like for us to pray with you, would you please come and we will make sure we spend time with you to make sure you know all is well when you leave this place. I'll give just a moment and then we'll move on. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your attentiveness today. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for the challenge. Please take this word home. Bury it deep in your heart. Use the, use the, your discernment to shut the enemy down and recognize the enemy and especially the Delilah spirit when it comes at you. For you have the power to overcome. You are a winner because Jesus won for you. You're more than an overcomer.